Wake up, America, before it's too late. The Steve Day Show. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Thank you for tuning in here live and on demand on Blaze TV radio and podcast. I am Steve Dace. He's Todd Erzin. He is Aaron McIntyre. And you are you. A lot going on here on the program today. Theology Thursday. We will continue as we come to the end of our series we've done throughout this year. Three book studies. We're on the third and final of those books. We'll continue that uh, coming up in the next hour of the show. We'll have three non-political questions as well. Uh, I got a chance the other night to watch the new documentary, Died Suddenly. Wow. Uh, We're going to go more in-depth on that documentary next week here on the program when all three of us have had a chance to watch it. But, uh, well, he's not the only one. There are several individuals in this documentary that if you are a fan of this show, you have heard and seen these names because they have been guests on this program. I mean, guests on this show are littered throughout this documentary. One of them is Dr. James Thorpe. And he's going to join us to talk about that documentary and what it claims coming up here at the bottom of this hour. You don't want to miss it. If you guys don't mind, I want to do things a tad different here today. Before we get to your montage, Aaron, I want to give the audience and and both of you an update on something we have been discussing quite prevalently here on the show in the last few days. Are you you okay with that? Um, Is that okay? Of course. All right. Before we do that, let me remind you that China's supply chain issues are now our supply chain issues, especially when we allow them to make about 80% uh, and curate about 80% of the antibiotics in the world. So now you're hearing about an amoxicillin shortage. (sighs) Folks, get a hold of our friends at Jace Medical right now. J-A-S-E, J as in Jeff, J-A-S-E. All right, get a hold of Jace Medical and find out about the Jace pack of five different courses of antibiotics, including amoxicillin, that you can have should we just let's go Brandon the whole damn planet at this point all right make sure that you have that peace of mind to know we're good or who knows the next time that there is an award-winning venerable drug they try to deny you uh, in a time of crisis you've got it on your person already takes just a few minutes when you go to jacemedical.com uh, fill out a few questions the medication then dispensed uh, by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost and you can take an additional 10% off with my code DACE10 DACE10 for an additional 10% off when you go to jacemedical.com use the offer code DACE10 jacemedical.com So I heard from a little birdie this morning that a phone call was had yesterday. Uh, And it was GOP leadership talking to the the conference on a call, talking strategy, um, debrief, etc. Our very own Senator Joni Ernst was now involved in this call because she is... She collected her 30 pieces of silver for declaring war on the church. Yes, the the same, literally the day after she made that vote, they promoted her to, what is it, uh, fourth most powerful person, I think, in uh, the Republican Senate caucus. And I, I'll just tell you, I've, I've known Joni Ernst for years. I have met a lot of politicians. I've met very few that are as unremarkable yeah. as Joni Ernst. There is literally nothing to her. Like, nothing 
that immediately strikes you as bad. Nothing that immediately strikes you as impressive. She's just uh, kind of there. She's just kind of there. It's like you're not talking to a human being. It's a it's a machine of quips and quotes and contrivances and talking points. It's not like an actual person. And that's exactly why she's fourth in line. Oh, of course. Yep. Oh, of, of course it is. Of course it is. And that's, you know, why she'll uh, outlive us all and end up running the caucus eventually. Absolutely. Yeah. But I digress. On this call, she addressed her vote to declare war on the church in America. Now, it is customary, I am told from a little birdie who was on this call and heard about it. I, or I actually heard, it, I heard from a little birdie who heard about this call from someone who was on the call. That's what I meant to say. All right. It is customary on these debrief calls to allow caucus members to ask leadership questions. That was not permitted on this call. She didn't take any questions. None were solicited. I am told that she defended her vote to declare war on the church in America and thus have America essentially shake its fist at God. She, she defended it on the grounds that we have to put this issue, the marriage issue, behind us and move on as a party. Otherwise, we can't win elections anymore. That was her argument. In the 80s and 90s, they told us we had to put baby killing aside or we can't win elections anymore. In the 2000s and 2010s, they told us we had to put immigration and border security aside or we can't win elections anymore, right? Didn't we have to suspend capitalism once that, in order to save George capitalism? George W. Bush once said we had to literally suspend free market principles to save the free market, correct. And now they want to tell you that you have to take... A, you have to take the first revealed social institution in the history of God's created order and cast it aside. Did you see Wyoming Senator Cynthia Loomis was, Loomis was asked who voted for this as well? Is, is, does a child have a right to a mom and a dad? And she goes, I don't, I don't know. Did, don't we mock Democrat Supreme Court justice nominees when they say they can't, I'm not a biologist, I can't answer what a woman is. Don't, don't we mock them for that? If, if, if you're unsure, know this. Hell is for Democrats and Republicans alike, and there are plenty of both there as we speak. They seem to be racing for the first spot there. Indeed, indeed. They want the aisle seat in the eternal smoking section. <laughs> but this was her argument. Now, anything that is so defiled that it requires shaking your fist at God to save it is not worthy of saving. It is beyond saving, in fact. In fact, you should imprecatory pray against such a thing, being revived. You should not want it to be saved. You should want it scattered to the four winds. You should want it shattered in a thousand pieces. It is, des it is defiled. It's a desecration. But that is the argument of one of the most powerful Republican senators in the country. And that's the argument she made, at least what she thought was privately, to her colleagues on a call.
We've used the term rhino a lot over the years. I remember a conversation I had with a former friend of mine who was pastor of one of the largest congregations in a denomination that was about to flush its integrity down the toilet and abandon the Bible. And we were sitting down and, and I, and I, I'm not a member of his denomination. I, I, you know, I actually take that whole Protestant reformation thing very seriously. Like I'll just leave. I mean, I, I'll just leave again and again and again and again and again. Like, you know, you know that about me. I don't care. I'll, I'll, it, the hardest part was splintering the first time. It's much easier to just keep doing it again and again and again and again until I'm down to a small group of people in a home. I'm, I'm totes cool with that. You're talking to a kid that, you know, lived in a basement to hide out from his dad. I'm, f- I'm fine being on my own or with a very limited su- base of support. Right? So I don't understand the nostalgia of staying and fighting for something wayward. And so I, I, I pinned him down one day at lunch and I asked him, I said, why does this mean so much to you? I, he, I had helped him ghostwrite a letter uh, to, that was published in the official newsletter of his denomination nationally. I helped, I ghostwrote it for him uh, about, you know, we can't abandon the scriptures on sexuality and marriage. And that's a gateway drug to abandoning the scriptures and everything all together. And I, I couldn't understand why this meant so much to him. I'm like, Dude, you know church history more than I do. Why did you ever leave Rome? I mean, if, if holding on to a nostalgic attachment is means that much to you, why'd you ever leave Rome then? Just should have stayed there. They had more resources, history, more claims on your nostalgia, frankly, than this denomination you're in now that's only a couple centuries old. And he basically said to me, that's my church, my nostalgia, or I'm, I'm Freudian slip. That's my church, my denomination. I didn't want to give it up. That was the last time, that was the last time him and I had a serious conversation. His, his ministry now has um, LGBTQ. This is now 15, 10, 15 years later. His ministry now has LGBTQ FU affirming outreach groups things of that nature. They were one of the last churches in our community to reopen. I mean, they would have done anything the government told them to do during COVID, anything. I mean, I, I think, I honestly believe they would have stood out there and forcibly jabbed people before they could have come in with the MR, mRNA and poison. They're that compliant. They're that spirit of the age compliant. I don't know what church you're talking about, but I totally believe that what you just said. You, you would guess. Oh, I know what church you're talking you, uh, yeah. about. Yeah, if, if you live in this community, you can guess what I'm talking about, probably. But I bring that up in this context. When you dance with the devil, the devil doesn't change. He changes you. The scriptures say, both in the Old and New Testament, Paul cites this, but he's quoting from Proverbs. Bad company corrupts good character. And I saw someone who built a very successful church with as much Bible knowledge and church history knowledge as anyone I've ever encountered nationwide in my travels. But he had an idol. 
his denomination, the association with it, the belief in it, and eventually, didn't happen overnight, didn't happen overnight, but eventually in order to maintain that idolatrous attachment, he and his ministry eventually conformed to that which he was privately asking me to help him ghostwrite columns to oppose. I think, I mean, I haven't been a registered Republican now for seven and a half years. I mean, originally I left because I thought Trump was the last straw. I thought he was a con man. I thought this was all a scam. I didn't re-register, but I quasi came back because he ended up being a far better president than I thought. And I felt a moral obligation to get involved in, you know, people that were fighting for the same things that I'm fighting for. But I have no interest in, you know, it's, it's kind of super shocked me. I've been invited to speak to a couple of different GOP events in the last year. I'd not been invited to speak at GOP events in like a decade, even in my own state. Check that, especially in my own state. Okay. But I, I think we have to consider here. We are the rhinos. The greatest line in arguably the most successful graphic novel series of all time that was then turned into one of the greatest television series and most successful TV series of all time. The Walking Dead. And there is a moment in the graphic novel series, they tried to emulate it in the TV series, it's not as impactful, but there's a moment in the graphic novel series where Rick, the original leader, realizes it isn't the zombies travailing across the vast wasteland of what's left of planet Earth. They're not the walking dead. He looks at his fellow survivors who are existing for no purpose at all, for no reason at all, just for the purpose of survival, but all their humanity and the reason for it and the specialness of it has essentially been stripped away. They're just nothing more than a survival rate at this point. And he looks at his fellow survivors and in, and in realization of that, he says, we are the walking dead. We actually are. What's the purpose of surviving for surviving sake? We are the rhinos. They're not. And if we were being honest with one another and looked at this thing for the last, say, 40 years, with very limited exceptions, very limited exceptions, what the Republican Party is doing to the church in America now is actually the trend line. What we write books about, me and my peers, that you buy, would we do shows about me and my peers that you listen to and we thank you for that, is the outlier. We have no agency. We have no representation. Got an email from a guy asking me, why didn't I ask people to blow up the phone lines and go after Joni? Because I know Joni Ernst and I know these people better than you and it wouldn't have done any good. First couple of times you go to Dave and say, can you stop hitting my mom? Can you stop hitting me and my brother? You think maybe he just doesn't know what he's up to and he's just losing his mind and can't control his urges. After a while, you realize when he just keeps doing it. That's just you, bro. 
So now it's up to me. I, I've got to do something about it, right? I can't just sit here and keep taking it. I've got to do something about it. I would urge you to endure when it comes to feeding sheep. As your humble host here, I would not encourage you to spend one more nanosecond attempting to feed and nurture wolves. Sheep just don't know. The wolves don't want to know. Or they do. And they don't care. They hate us. They always have. They're making it more obvious than they ever have before. They are actively attempting to demoralize you. Actively. The, the lieutenant governor of Georgia went on Pravda this morning, CNN, to say that he stood in line for an hour to vote for Herschel Walker in the Georgia runoff and then realized he's not worthy of my vote and walked out. He didn't go on Fox to say that. He went on CNN to say it. What do we usually, what's a term we usually attribute to giving aid and comfort to an enemy? Traitor? Treason. Yeah, traitors. Yeah. And I, I think we need to now begin to have a real conversation with each other. Like my mom and I had to have about Dave. When is it no longer just their fault for doing it, but our fault? for tolerating it and endorsing it. Joni Ernst hasn't sacrificed her title as a Republican or anything at all. She's confirmed it. She is legion. She is what has led this party with limited exception all of my life. And certainly all of Aaron's. We are the walking dead. We are the rhinos. Gentlemen, your thoughts. I'm glad you said it. I think that needs to be the framework for the entire show going forward uh, into the new year. Uh, what's past is not prologue. In the sense that, uh, listen, everything you've done on this show, as long as you've been doing it, before Aaron and I were involved, has been simultaneously successful and a failure. It has been successful in that it is. it has been trying to show people this. <clears throat> that is not the first time, Steve, you've mentioned that notion of being who the real rhinos are. It is not the first time you've spoken truth to power. The the lights, I remember vividly, I told you this not long ago, a place I, where I was, and I remember a time I where I think you took on a minery or, something, or somebody like that, where a conversation that everybody thought was going to be uh, smooth and flowery to the ears ultimately ended up um, just you refused uh, to kiss the idol and you exposed the fact that somebody who was a lion in the industry was you've been trying to do this for a very very long time and you were right every single time at a far younger age than you are now and when you were at a place where you maybe in a society that made sense were supposed to be waiting your turn 
So you've been successful. Everybody can not but look back and say, yeah, the guy was right. But we've realized it too late. And now, going forward, I'm not sure what the answer is, but the same thing cannot be done. Uh, our time, our talent, and our treasure is too important, and it always is. And now, since the hour is so late, we've really got to change our strategy and our tactics because when I think about my dying and going into the ground and what I'm about to leave to my daughters, it sends chills through me. We must do better, and we have to do better right now. Aaron, you want to add anything? You want to go right to your montage? I don't have anything to add. I don't have anything to add to that. I just, I don't know what to, I don't know what to say. Here's, I just don't. Let, let me say There's this. There's nothing positive at all that I could go do this, go do that, change your tech. I don't know what to do. Like, yeah, keep keep going local. That's the thing. But we've been beating that drum forever. I don't know what to tell you. That's really what it is. I mean, what it is is do the right thing in your own life. Or be the person who in the camps will look at your children and say, the red wave is coming to save us this time, I'm sure. That's really it. Do justice, righteousness, walk faithfully with your God, or be a, an idolater for the Republican Party who hates you. That's, that's, that, 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 there, there's your choices. That's really it, right? That's it. Yeah. That's it. Do justice, righteousness, walk with God in your own life, or become an idolater for a political party that is at war with God and hates your ever-living guts. Those are your choices. It seems pretty cut and dried to me, but when idolatry gets involved, things aren't always as obvious as they seem. Amen. And we all have our idols. Here's Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by another example of the two-tiered justice system. Former FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried, who literally stole billions of dollars from investors and gave many millions of it to politicians, mostly Democrats, is going to probably get away with his crimes. ABC News and Clinton acolyte George Stephanopoulos has been rolled out to do a fake tough interview with Bankman Freed. I can't imagine what it feels like to go from $20 billion to $100,000. Yeah. How did he go from crypto hero to crypto supervillain? Today, a lot of people look at you and see Bernie Madoff. GMA Tomorrow, Sam Bankman Freed, one on one with George Stephanopoulos. In another interview, Bankman Freed said he never mixed company funds with FTX business subsidiaries. So, how is it possible that Alameda? had this loan of such a large size. Again, one piece of this, you have the margin trading. You have, you know, customers borrowing from each other. Alameda is one of those. I was frankly surprised by how big Alameda's position was, which points to another failure of oversight on my part um, and uh, failure to appoint someone to be chiefly in charge of that. Uh, but uh, I wasn't trying to commingle funds. He also added, one of the, the letters I got, uh, I want to read to you, Sam, um, because it's from a gentleman who said that he lost his life savings. Um, and the subject line is, Sam Bankman-Fried stole $2 million from me. Says, Andrew, can you please ask SBF why he decided to steal my life savings? These are the kinds of letters that I've been getting repeatedly over the past several days. What do you tell this, this man? Yeah. 
Um, I mean, I'm deeply sorry about what happened. Moving on, Florida Chief Financial Officer Jimmy Petronas said yesterday, within hours, Florida is going to start taking action against woke corporations pushing environmental social governance agenda. A few months ago, the governor, uh, we had a SBA meeting, and we decided to start pulling back and send shots across the bowels, across the, the woke fund managers, and starting to say, you know, we want to start voting our proxies. We want to start sending a message loud and clear. and, and and even under under my own treasure, I got I got sixty billion dollars just in our checkbook under management, and it's got to be parked somewhere. We do a great job. We we are able to to make incredible uh, returns on those investments as uh, we're doing the legislature's bidding and writing those those warrants. Um, but we're we're going to start prioritizing, and I wouldn't be surprised if you don't see some changes here in the next twenty four hours where we're going to start to make our own decisions known out of our own office, in addition to the leadership changes that that. Uh, Governor Sands is instituted. Chief Twit Elon Musk said yesterday he was brought to Apple's headquarters and had a meeting with CEO Tim Cook, where Cook assured him pulling Twitter off the App Store was never on the table. Oh, okay. Senator Pocahontas was asked about the Musk takeover of Twitter. But do you think that users have a right to freedom of speech, even if what they're saying is wrong or offensive? I think that one human being should not decide how millions of people communicate with each other. One human being should not be able to go into a dark room by himself and decide, oh, that person gets heard from, that person doesn't. White House National Security spokesman John Kirby tried to explain why Apple making decisions at the behest of the Chinese Communist Party is okay, but Twitter making their own free speech policies is a problem. I don't have any communications to speak to specifically with Apple executives. Again, it's a private company. Uh, they make these policies and they should have to answer for that. What we want to see is that citizens are, are reliably able to communicate, whether it's a time of crisis or not. Yeah, but you, I, I go back to the same thing, because we were just told that the White House will keep an eye on Twitter because they're concerned about the new Twitter 2.0 that Elon Musk is in, putting in where he wants more free speech on Twitter. So they're going to keep an eye on Twitter, and yet you're taking a hands-off approach. You say there's been no communication with Tim Cook at Apple said, about this process in China with the Chinese government? Martha, I'm not aware that there's been any conversations uh, specifically with Apple on this particular issue. It's a private company. And as for Twitter, again, Martha, these are apples and oranges. We're talking about potential foreign investment issues, and I have nothing to report in terms of any investigations in that regard. But that was the general concern with respect to, to Mr. Musk's uh, purchase of Twitter. Uh, this is a different issue. This is a policy issue inside of Apple. Tweet from CDC Director Rochelle Walensky. This year marks the 50th anniversary of the end of the Tuskegee syphilis study. Tomorrow, I'll be joined by colleagues and public health leaders as we honor the 623 African-American men, their suffering and sacrifice, and our commitment to ethical research and practice. Groomer update. This is a clip from a new animated film for kids called Mama Has a Mustache. The film is sponsored by a pharmaceutical company that sells the chemical castration drug Lupron. Can you be a girl and have a boy body? Or be a boy and have a girl body? Yes. That's transgender. Can this person be a parent? Yes. My dad. I feel like I'm not really a boy or a girl. <laughs> Mama has a mustache. Mommy has a mustache. And finally, this. Trump or Biden? 
Biden. Biden? Why? Because Trump. Why? I'm a Mexican. What does it have to do with not liking Trump? Because I don't want to go over the wall. So are you here legally or illegally? Legally. So then you have nothing to worry about. I just... White people. And that's what happened while we were away. So tailgate season is here. Christmas gift shopping season is here. And when you're headed out, if you're looking for a cool and unique gift, try our friends over at Tyga Coolers. I'm sure they were watching right now because they're big fans of the Blaze and probably have the exact same broken heart watching that that I have at this moment. Um, they make for great personal or corporate gifts. They keep your food and drinks cool. And what's really cool is they can customize them for you as well. Who knows? Maybe you want to put some devil horns on them and send them to almost every member of Congress, Republican and Democrat and tell them this is probably appropriate for your current contribution to society. Whatever that case may be of what you want to customize on there. They can do that for you. Use the promo code Steve to get 10% off when you go to tigacoolers.com. T-A-I-G-A for tigacoolers.com. Use the promo code Steve for 10% off. And I have no commentary on what we just watched. Only sadness. More and more Americans are waking up to the notion we have to create as much of an alternative uh, economy to woke corporatism as we possibly can. That's why we are partnering with our friends over at Public SQ, you know, for Public Square. It is the largest directory of freedom-loving businesses our nation has ever seen. Public SQ is the very first app to connect freedom-loving Americans with their local community and businesses across the country that share their values. So whether you want to support that restaurant that only does farm-to-table locally or the coffee shop that stood up to the COVID mandates or the bank that says they'll never cancel you for your beliefs. Public SQ is your guide to find those believers in liberty. Just download the Public SQ app today from the Apple App Store or Google Play. Create a free account and then you can begin your search right there. You can also list your business for free so that your local community can find you today. Download the app now. Public SQ for Public Square. That's Public SQ. Again, that's Public SQ. Well, I've heard from a ton of you that have also seen this documentary. My wife and I watched it on Tuesday night, and we were blown away by the new documentary, Died Suddenly. We're going to discuss it more in depth next week on the show when both Todd and Aaron have had an opportunity to watch it as well. I saw a lot of familiar faces watching this documentary, individuals that have guessed on our program previously or numerous times in the past. One of them joins us again. Dr. James Thorpe is here with us on the show. And Dr. Thorpe, it's a pleasure and an honor to have you back with us here today. Brother, how are you? I'm really well. And Steve, thank you so much for having me on your incredible truthing platform. You got it, brother. Tell us, remind us again about your practice, what you do, and and how that would have given you uh, a front row seat to this tragedy. Sure, I'm a I'm an old guy. I'm 69 years old. 
I've been, uh, I'm a board certified maternal fetal medicine specialist. I'm board certified obstetrician and gynecologist. Just to give you a little bit of my expertise in doing this, which I think is unparalleled with my experience. I've seen over 23,400 higher risk obstetrical ultrasounds just in the last three years. Oh my. Uh, anybody else have that around the world that you know of? I published extensively uh, in the last two years, over 20 publications, including a book. I'm an expert in COVID-19. I've spoken with experts all over the world. I've published extensively in my career. I've served as an examiner for the American Board of Obstetrics and Gynecology. I was asked to testify before the US Senate in 2003 because of my expertise in closed fetal surgeries in the womb and treating the fetus as a patient. I've served on the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine Board of Directors uh, and, and much more. I've been a, a busy clinician. I've seen death, destruction, and injury in my practice. And from data that I've obtained all over the world, all over this country, and from our government, the rollout and the pushing of this experimental genetic therapy in pregnancy is the greatest, most egregious violation of medical ethics in human history. You know, as someone who has, James, I, I got into this business to talk about political philosophy, theology. I mean, I, I I didn't know a T cell from a T bone, brother, until you know, like the spring of 2020. I I couldn't have possibly talked to somebody like you, uh, remotely intelligent, because I just that wasn't my area of expertise. But to study up on this enough to at least sound you know cogent to my audience over the last few years, I have received so many stories from people in our audience about tragedies, about deaths, uh, the lack of treatment in hospitals, the way they were treated, what they were treated with, uh, side effects, adverse events because of the jab. It, it's, it's beyond breathtaking, but I don't have anything else to compare it to, doctor. I, I've not, this isn't my field of expertise, and so I'm hesitant to make it sound like it is, you know, of a cataclysmic nature because I have no frame of reference. This is not the world I've inhabited as you have now for several decades. So to hear someone like you, this is your natural habitat. So to hear someone like you frame it in such cataclysmic terms, I think really brings home the point of the evil that was done here. The American Board of Obstetrics and Gynecology, the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology are totally, totally inappropriate. They are so far off base. They are neutralized. They are crooked. They are corrupt. Uh, with them and the FDA and the CDC, they are all corrupt and fraudulent. They have pushed out this necessary, safe and effective mantra, which is completely false on all three accounts to my pregnant patients all over the world. They furthermore are aware of the own internal documents of Pfizer that has documented the death and destruction killing and maiming of my patients around the world and they continue 
to push out the message. Even to this day, they are doubling down because their profits are waning. They need to be destroyed. The American College of OBGYN, the, the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine, the American Board of Obstetrics and Gynecology, the CDC, the FDA, and many of the major uh, medical journals, uh, they need to be destroyed and taken down by civil and criminal litigation. Now, stop this poison in my patients now. This seems like an anticlimactic question, but I think I'm morally compelled to ask it anyway, doctor. Is there a benign or innocent explanation for any of this? No. The American Board of Obstetrics and Gynecology, the American College of OBGYN, the Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine are corrupt crooks. They have killed and maimed a lot of my patients, women of reproductive age, pregnant women and preborn babies all over the world. They know what's going on and they have the responsibility of doing their own due diligence like I did. And by the way, so does every other 25,000 OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine physicians in this country. This is absolutely unacceptable. Never before in the history of humanity has such a perverse global killing drug gone out to maim, kill, and injure my patients around the world. This needs to stop, and it needs to stop now. There needs to be a Nuremberg trial. Agreed. Prior to the release of Died Suddenly, what have you done to try to raise alarms about what you have seen in your patients? I put myself in harm's way for over two years. I've been preaching on this for for over two years. I've come up against all of those powers that be. I think they're having a difficult time dealing with me because I was part of them. Uh, it's very difficult for them to launch ad hominem attacks on me with my record. Mm -hmm. I have the data. I have the truth. They're wrong. They're compromised. They're either bought off with power or money, or they're compromised by threats. Has there any ever been anything like this? We're, we're talking do, the island of Dr. Moreau on a global scale, right? Um, has there... Has there ever been anything like this in human no. history? No. Listen, this makes Hitler and his Third Reich look like altar boys. And I'm sorry if I offend any of my brothers and sisters out there, but it's the truth. The Third Reich in the 1930s, and by the way, several of the physicians for the Third Reich hung. They were condemned to death. The excuse of, oh, I didn't know it, or oh, I was just following orders, didn't hold up didn't turn out too well for those physicians. And we need to do the same thing now. This is unacceptable. This is the Third Reich did this on a much smaller scale in only one small part of Europe to only one sector of uh, my Jewish brothers and sisters. That was horrible. This is the Third Reich, Adolf Hitler on steroids. This is totally different. This was perpetrated all over the world. There's no data. The reproductive toxicology studies, Steve, showed horrible, devastating, lethal complications in the fetus animals that were subjected in pregnancy 
uh, to this injection. And I'm talking about lethal anomalies. They were all buried. They were hidden and they was given a free pass. This is unacceptable. This was a condemnation of death, injury, and destruction to my patients worldwide. The CDC, the FDA, the American College of OBGYN, the American Board of Obstetrics and Gynecology, the Society for Maternal Field Medicine perpetrated this crime, and they know it, and they need to be held accountable. They need to be taken down by civil and criminal litigation, and they need to put, be put in prison. Let's talk for a few minutes about the documentary Died Suddenly, which has become a viral sensation despite not just corporate media blackout, but there have been very few alternative media sites that have been discussing this, obviously, as well, because of the ramifications of it. And, um, uh, you know, uh, everybody's afraid of being labeled an anti-vaxxer. Okay, so um, there's a lot of people that I work with in this industry that kind of want to pretend that stuff like this, uh, this documentary isn't out there so that they don't have to talk about it. When they came to you about being in the documentary, you made the decision to do it. Why? Uh, Listen, my raison d'etre, my God created me for this time. God created me, influenced me by my mother, who was a labor and delivery nurse by my hero, Ignaz Philip Semmelweis, uh, in the mid-19th century, whose book I read when I was a teenager. God purposed me at that time to serve my patients and to always be honest and truthful uh, to my physician-patient relationship. And uh, this is where I am. I never had a second thought about any of this. My life be damned, you know, throw me in the gas chamber, throw me in the lion's den, throw me in the furnace. Uh, You know, I stand for the truth and the truth is unalterable. A question I get a lot, both from my my partners here on the show and from our, our listeners and viewers across the country. When do we reach a critical mass that this can't be ignored anymore? What's, what's, what's the magic number of total excess deaths that we could possibly reach where this penetrates the zeitgeist, James. Do you know the answer to that? I don't know the answer. There's just, um, you know, a very, very complicated hierarchical four levels of cognitive dissonance. And listen, after a physician has pushed this uh, deadly injection one after the other on themselves, on their own family members, on their friends, and then on their patients, It's a very rare individual uh, who can actually stand up publicly, like I've done in the past, where I've made mistakes, and apologize and recognize and repent that I've made a mistake and publicly apologize and do academic metanoia. There's only 1% of the population or so that uh, has the intellectual and the moral integrity to do that. Dr. Asim Mahaltra is one of the physicians that have done that. And he's over in the USA this week. He was, he's actually down in Dallas with Dr. McCullough. Um, so there are heroes out there that are willing to do that, but very few. There's very few of my physicians around this country. Uh, they know something's up, but they need to continue to collect their paychecks and their bribes to uh, spew out the fallacious, politically requ- uh, correct, uh, deadly recommendations. Hmm. 
James, thank you for your willingness to take a stand and be a part of this uh, documentary. It's a, it's an extraordinary film, uh, extraordinarily tragic and uh, anger-inducing as well. But uh, uh, we have too few men like you, brother, so I wish we had more. Thank you very much. Merry Christmas. Thank you very much for uh, speaking for my patience. You bet your brother. God bless. God bless. Uh, Dr. James Thorpe there, he mentioned a, a name, maybe you caught it in passing, that was kind of his professional hero. And the name that he mentioned was uh, Semmelweis, or Semmelweis. And I, we've mentioned his story on the program before. For those of you that don't know, uh, he's one of the most important figures in the history of modern medicine. Uh, pretty much until the mid-19th century, childbirth was the leading cause of death for women in the world in all of human history. And... He had this bright idea one day, you know, we're, we're putting our hands inside these women's intimate portions of their anatomy, you know, and we use our hands all day long and they're carrying how much bacteria, you know, germs, etc. What if we started washing our hands? You know, what if we started, you know, cleansing our hands medically before we did this? And he instantly saw the amount of deaths of women uh, as a result of childbirth just plummet. And so he started suggesting that this was a, you know, this form of hygiene, this basic form of available hygiene could have far reaching positive ramifications when it came to disease and illness comprehensively. He was called a quack by the experts. Uh, they literally drove him to insanity in a sanator- sanitarium where I think he ended up dying in there after they, um, uh, they might have lobotomized him, electric shock treated him, you know, I mean, because again, that's what the experts, that's what the experts said to do. You know, just like they told us, um, uh, vitamin D, uh, vitamin D doesn't work. Natural immunity is not no longer a thing. You know, the trusty experts, um, drove him to his grave and, him and Alexander Fleming could very well be the two most important figures in the history of medicine over the last, say, 200 years. So that is who Dr. James Thorpe mentioned was his professional hero at a young age. Gentlemen, thoughts on this conversation we just had with Dr. James Thorpe? Well, it's him, and I. Uh, he's been that way both times he's been on the show. He mentioned McCullough. When we, all these guys, ultimately, as smart as they are, and as much as they know the data. What really is remarkable about all of them is their constitution. They they simply say, here I stand, I can do no other. I must fight for the truth, whatever it is. And that, more than any of the science or anything, is the most remarkable thing about those who will do something in the face of all this and those who won't. Most people of that age won't what is their constitution well it has a lot to do with the church we talked about in the past and when you've been raised in a church for a long time that has confused thin gruel notions of kindness and diversity with the truth you will not get people who will ultimately fight for it or know it to begin with hmm. headline i just saw a minute ago filmmaker 45 dies suddenly in his sleep was in good health literally just a minute ago just showed up in my feed every day now hour two is next
Back here with Hour 2, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Aaron McIntyre and Todd Erzin. And then there is all of you. Let us know, maybe not all of you at once, but let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox by emailing the program steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, MeWe, Parlor and Gab. You can follow me at Steve Dace Show on Twitter, Getter. Uh, also Instagram and TikTok, and then find me over on Truth Social at Real Steve Dace at Real Steve Dace on Truth Social. I shouldn't be distracted this time by the fact that the BTN is a uh, Big Ten Network is doing the uh, replay of the Michigan Ohio State game again because I've already watched it six times. So I think I'm good. <laughs> you say things out loud that are best left to just percolate on the inside it's, it's, it, it, your own does it make it, Idaho <laughs> TMI TMI is it okay that about half of those were just like highlight culminations and I didn't sit through the full game all six times does that make it better or not no does not it does not okay uh, anyway, uh, you can also find me over on Truth Social as well, at Real Steve Dace there. And again, D-E-A-C-E. Those of you that listen to the podcast, thank you very much. If you've yet to do so, please consider, if you like us, leave us a five-star review, hit subscribe or follow as well. And thank you to all of you that have done those things for us already. We appreciate each and every one of them. This portion of the show brought to you by our friends over at Preborn. They have been working for years to put Planned Parenthood out of business, even before the shibboleth of the damned known as Roe v. Wade was smashed. And the way they do it is they have been doing really street evangelism and ministry mom to mom, baby to baby for many, many years. Uh, what they have found is about 80% of the time when a mom hears the heartbeat of her baby, gets that free ultrasound and hears that heartbeat. They, the conscience now is pricked. That's my baby. I can't do that to my baby. And that saves the baby. But they understand, though, that the baby and mom are a tandem. So they want to save the mom as well. And that's, that's the part here that really impresses me. It's not just as a kid born to a 15-year-old mom who, you know, I came from a mom that was in a crisis pregnancy, but, you know, that was not an easy life, okay? I mean, we, we were on government assistance and everything else. They provide the maternity, the baby clothes, the diapers, the car seats, the counseling, all of it free of charge with donations provided by people like us. If you want to make a donation to Preborn today, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. Dial pound 250, say the keyword baby, or go to preborn.com slash Steve. Once more, that is preborn.com slash Steve. At the bottom of the hour, it'll be time for three non-political questions. Heads up. You had a good 27 minutes uh, to come up with something. Appreciate it. But uh, let us continue. The the final book study that we're doing this year, we have done three of them. We started off uh, taking a look at what the spirit of the age did when it manifested itself in the menacing presence of COVID via Dr. Scott Atlas's book, A Plague Upon Our House. We then took a comprehensive look at the spirit of the age with my book from, uh, from last year, Do What You Believe or You Won't Be Free to Believe It Much Longer. And now we are looking at what it has done to our economy. And we're doing it via a book called Thank God for Bitcoin, The Creation, Corruption, and Redemption of Money. We are going to, even though we're only four chapters into this book, I want to let you know, we're going to finish this here in the next three weeks. We have three Theology Thursdays left counting today. So the, the final third of the book is when it advocates specifically for Bitcoin. 
As someone who has lost over 60% of his investment into Bitcoin back in January, I frankly am in no mood to preside over a pure proselytizing on behalf of Bitcoin. Fair? Fair. Fair. At least, listen, I, I think it will bounce back. I'm leaving my money in there, but I'm, I'm just, I'm not in a place right now where I think I can provide an objective analysis, okay, for the amount of money I have lost in this, all right, um, here in the last uh, 10, 10 plus months. Besides, the most important part of this book anyway is what it says about our current monetary policy and economic strategies or lack thereof until we get to that point. So we're going to spend the next three weeks wrapping up the portion of the book that deals with what has, what has done this to our economy. And then we'll call it a day. And, and maybe one day, if I could at least break even on my Bitcoin investment, I might be willing to talk positively about it again. Fair? Fair. So this week, we're going to look at the chapter, gentlemen. Chapter four, the problems with fiat money. And it comes with this quote from Paul writing to his spiritual progeny, Timothy, in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6, verse 9. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. I want to read this to you just to open up the chapter, and then we'll turn it over to you guys for where we want the conversation to go. Our current monetary system is generally not well understood. Fair? Fair. What we have today is a central bank-controlled fiat monetary system. The word fiat literally means by decree. Therefore, fiat money describes money that is mandated by an authority. Fiat money is not backed by anything except faith in that government's decree. This system is shockingly unjust. Its many complex layers intentionally make its inequities and iniquities difficult to understand. The reason for its complexity is explained well by American industrialist Henry Ford. Quote, it is well enough that people of the nation do not understand our banking and monetary system, for if they did, I believe there would be a revolution before tomorrow morning, unquote. Fiat money has created temptations that continue to lead us down the road to ruin and destruction. For years on this show, I mean, I, I would not presume to stand mano y mano with the one and only Ron Paul and debate economic and monetary policy. I would, I would be well out of my depth, okay? But I, and you guys used to listen to the show before you came to work here, so you used to hear me make this point. But I fundamentally disagreed with him that there would someday be some great financial reckoning. Remember? I didn't think there'd be some like, um, you know, zombie apocalypse or anything yeah. of that nature because Ron Paul was analyzing things through the prism of a, of a business cycle, of an economic cycle. And it would make sense. You write this many checks that you can't cash. You've, you've, you kite this many checks. You float this much money. You print this many dollars. And at some point, it's time to pay the check, mm -hmm. and, 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 and you don't have it on you, right? And that's insolvency, right? Yeah. This is, where I would, this is where I've disagreed with people like Ron Paul on this over the years. See, they thought we, they were analyzing this economically, monetarily. 
has to be analyzed theologically. What we have done in our society in this last era is behave as which, or behave as if, I should say, we are powerful enough to redefine things that we cannot redefine. Now, we've often made such analysis as it pertains to things like marriage, sovereign borders, personhood, gender, right? Right. But we've never really applied that specifically in a lot of cases to economics. A lot of our theological application, well, we're woeful theologically as a people anyway, um, but it's especially woeful. Like, IQ of nine when we get into economic matters. Almost every government on this earth at this moment is behaving as if it is God or a God. Almost every government on this earth of significance or consequence to some degree is doing what we are doing. Maybe not as profligate as we are, but the premise remains. And so, therefore, who is the agent of solvency? Who is, the, who is the disperser of revenue? Who's the source of, who's the aggrieved source that has not been repaid that will call in the note? Who is it? Do you know who that government is? Doesn't exist. Furthermore, in, in an ironic twist of fate, and this is what makes the welfare state so especially tempting. When we take, you know, I, I think we've made a mistake on the right when we've said things like homosexuality is the first sin that there's ever been a political lobby for. It is not. Covetousness is. Decades before we normalized sexual deviancy, we had already normalized covetousness. That's what the welfare state is. It's covetousness incarnate. I am entitled to something that that's what an income. That's what a progressive income tax is. God set up a taxation scheme. Everybody paid the same rate. Did that mean everybody paid the same amount? No, no, because 10% to you, if you're a, if you, if you're a landowner and 10% to a widow would be a whole lot of different amount of money. Right. Mm -hmm. But the rate was the same. Why? Because covetousness was a sin. He declared that in his law. Don't covet. The widow, the widow, because she has less than the landowner, isn't a holier person. It's sad that she's a widow, but that doesn't make her better or purer than the person who is successful. Or, or vice versa, for that matter. God is not a respecter of persons. So everyone will pay the same rate. But it won't be the same amount. Any form of progressive economic policy, whether it is taxation, monetary policy, any of it, spending, appropriations, any form of it is unbiblical. It goes against the laws of nature and nature's God. It is the state declaring it is God. 
We have a fiat currency because we have a fiat government. It isn't tethered to a constitution. It isn't tethered to respect for the laws of nature and nature's God. It believes it can redefine all things. And its monetary and economic policy is simply an extension of that. Furthermore, should there one day arise a solvent state that we would be in greatly indebted to, they still wouldn't call the note because we have more nuclear weapons. In the past, throughout human history, usually the solvent state was the superpower, right? Mm-hmm. And so they, or, or the nation that was about, on, that was on the brink of replacing you as, as such, right? And so you were in debt to them. They seized your resources. They surrounded your city. They put your kingdom under siege. They invaded you. And we take the next notch on Daniel's statue and move it down the line to the next empire waiting in line, right? Mm-hmm. That's the long arc of human history. We, we aren't doing that now. Treason never prospers. What's the reason? Because whenever treason prospers, none dare call it treason. Everybody's doing this now. Everybody's doing fiat to some degree now. Everybody is. So, so therefore, there's no one to call in the note. There's no one who's rightfully owed anything. Everybody's a debtor. Then it just comes down to my army can destroy your army. That's why I'm, I'm now beginning to rethink my position that we, we actually are capable of facing an economic calamity. It, and not because we printed 80% of the dollars we ever have as a nation in the last two years. That's actually not why. It's trainees in the military. That's why. Two naval ships almost collided in a uh, San Diego harbor on Tuesday morning. There, that's, that's why. That's why. Because now there are some people that might be looking our way because you got that whole covetousness thing going on. You know what I'm saying? And saying, you know, I, I kind of like uh, I kind of like that sea to shining sea. I kind of like what y'all got going on over there. And I'm not so sure you can keep it. I'm not so sure you can defend it. I'm here, Huckleberry. I'll call the note. It will actually be your, the decline of your military. It'll be your military handing itself over to the spirit of the age to not know what a man is, to not know what a weapon is, a soldier is, what a cause is. That's what will call into question your economic superiority. Because there is no one, there, there's no one that, is, <laughs> that can call in the level of debt because they're in it. They're in on it too. The whole thing is fiat. The whole thing is. You don't see that though, guys, if you believe that the, the economic argument is technocratic. Only strictly. It is techni- economics is technocratic. But it's not strictly and wholly technocratic. And if you don't see that other aspect of it, you don't see the theology of what is at play here, you'll miss this. Our economy is in the state it is in right now. Not because we have made poor economic choices, but rather we made poor economic choices because the people who, are running, who run our economy think they are God and they are not. Gentlemen, your thoughts. You know, it's funny. Uh, I was going to read the exact same passage <laughs> to start this off because I, uh, and while I did read the rest of the chapter, uh, I don't, th- there's an entire conversation here because this is the first time, especially this book, I did not expect it to be, 
I knew I was going to be making a theological argument, but it, it's just constantly quoting scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it gets something fundamentally wrong here. And it's when it uses that uh, Henry Ford quote, it is well enough that people of the nation do not understand our banking and monetary system. For if they did, I believe there would be a revolution before tomorrow morning. And that's uh, no. There, when Henry Ford says that, was that true about the people of the time that he lived a hundred years ago? Maybe. Perhaps. Is it true about the people that we are today? No. No. I agree. They, they like, this is, this is about my, these people have feet of clay. They have, which and, and those feet of clay they had in the past, but since they haven't been humbled, they've led to gigantic idols. And that idol is comfort. They would not reject it. Quite contrary. They're the opposite. They, they begged for this. If you upset this apple cart, they would fight you. That has to be understood mm-hmm. in all of this. And, and you go back to where they nail it. You saw that when Thomas Massey was the one member of Congress that would not sign off on a voice vote, voice yeah. vote for the first COVID bailout and made them go on the record. And everybody raged, including Trump, who actually lined up a primary challenger to Thomas Massey yeah. in the next campaign cycle. Yeah. Who got annihilated, by the way. Massey completely annihilated that primary challenger. But yeah. Fiat money describes money that is mandated by authority. Fiat money is not backed by anything except faith in a government's decree. What does that sound like that Steve actually just summed up on this very show today? He led off the show to that. That is what just happened with defining marriage in the Congress. And it's no mistake here that that's happening now and that money came first this has everything to do with i'm fifth i'm gonna borrow if i do it poorly i'm sorry i'm fiscally conservative <laughs> uh but i'm morally liberal yep Th- that's this they got you with this you would have when i mean it, it would happen 10 years ago but certainly when steve and i were growing up this, this transgender is in the bathroom men there would have been blood in the streets and men would have made sure of it. Mm-hmm. But this lie had not, not soaked in so deep. They figured out over time, this is like in the matrix, the original matrix in the movie. They, I think it's in the second movie. It's laid out. We, we did originally make the, it a utopia, but it's like the human psyche doesn't reject it. So it doesn't accept it. Doesn't mean. accept. It doesn't yeah. accept it. So it, we. There had it, to be a certain amount of fallacy and suffering built in. The the yeah. ups and downs. So this, this thing, uh, with with, with fiat currency, it, it it's it's a version, uh, of that without making it uh, too unpalatable. And they needed to get you with money first, because once the whole where where, where does it look at what happened. The, the, before that, the notions of the middle class uh, and all of that, and a, a lot of good things that came with capitalism. It is, again, it is, it is, the, warp, it is the worst form of, of economic system, except for all the rest of them, to paraphrase Churchill on uh, democracy. But it got you going on that, and all boats rise with the tide, and all that stuff. And so you, it became an idol, an addiction, not, not something that you earned 
ultimately, by doing the right things, a la what Steve did, never mistaking the fact that the moral law comes first. No, no, no. Sooner or later, you, you, you forgot all of that. And then the fiat currency was the demand you had to make sure that the ebbs and flows were fantasy land, a la the Matrix, and not the real ebbs and flows of what capitalism really means. Risk, reward, sometimes big, sometimes small. But that's the name of the game. And it's better than anything we got. Well, that became too much because we had no real men anymore. And so, no, to come back full circle to where we were, these believing people, not only would they not, like, this would not be Plato's cave, you going back in. They would not say, thank you for coming to get us. Mm -hmm. No, they would burn you. They would burn you alive because they love their comfort. And that's what this fiat currency allows them the illusion of having forever and ever and yes sooner or later this bubble will bounce not in the way ron paul thought and not even the way as steve said that he thought but it's gonna burst sooner or later because we are not basically good we do not see the truth and just give it a big warm hug when it's finally presented to us no we want what we want and we're addicted to comfort Aaron, before we go to you, perfect time to talk about our friends over at realestateagentsitrust.com. Everything going on in the housing market right now is a byproduct of a lot of what you just said, Todd. So in these unprecedented times, Bing. make sure you line yourself up a real estate agent that you can trust, that understands what time it is, the signs of the times and what to do about them. We will help you find that agent, uh, people with full-time verified track records of success that we trust before we entrust you to them. If you want to get the process has started. Just go to realestateagentsitrust.com today. Provide us some basic info. Uh, you'll find out maybe that this agent is a fellow Blaze listener and viewer just like you. We've got a waiting list, thousands long of agents who want to be uh, included in our network. We don't just take anybody, though. We vet them first before we recommend them to you. So go to realestateagentsitrust.com today. Provide us some basic info, and then our team will contact you to make an introduction to one of our recommended agents after okay. you go to realestateagentsitrust.com. Aaron, can I say one really quick thing? Because it, it, it has to do with Joni Ernst. When yeah. she said, I had to do this on marriage to protect this party, this is what she meant. I, I can't be, I have to do this on marriage because what we're really about is protecting things like fiat currency. That's what that meant if you read between the lines. There was a, there was a fascinating commentary that you actually retweeted, I think, this morning from Charlie Munger. Right. That's Warren Buffett's longtime business partner. That's someone that wants us to be more like China. Yeah, but yeah. This, this, he actually kind of dropped a, a bit of a truth bomb. He said, envy, not greed, envy for the last, well, basically since the Great Depression and certainly I think, his, I think, the, I think the meaning was uh, since the baby boom era, Envy is what the, makes the world go round, the economic world go round. Said he grew up in the Depression, and he cannot believe when things are what he, I think he put a percentage point, 600% better than they were back then. He cannot believe that people still see others and want what they have. And I thought about this during this conversation. Is the government culpable and maybe even primarily responsible for debasing our 
currency. Absolutely. Primarily, you can debate that a little bit more because of what I'm about to say. Are they only culpable, culpable hmm. and responsible for debasing our currency and increasingly a fiat currency? Uh, no. Because for I don't know how many years this has been going on, any change to our monetary system, any crisis, any inflationary cycle, any world event, any downturn, the psyche of the people of this country has been, yes, but can I, can I go to Disney someday? And maybe it'll take an extra year. Yes, but can I still watch football on the weekends? Yes, but can I still buy my trinkets? Yes, but can I get the new iPhone? Yes, but can I get the new computer? Yes, but can I get that big screen TV? Yes, but can I, yes, but can I, can I, and for too long, because of all of the baked in wealth, just inherent to this system that we were given and inherited, the answer to that question has always been yes. It's always been yes. And so we keep consenting to the debasement of our currency. Debase, 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 debase. The only reason why it hasn't completely crashed, and as bad as things inflationary-wise, uh, as bad as things are here in the United States, they are far worse in Europe and, out, and throughout uh, other parts of the world, is because the dollar is still the reserve currency. There are too many people, not just in the United States, around the, uh, around the globe who use the dollar. So the financial crisis... The financial crisis where, like, breadlines crisis, I don't think that's going to happen until after the dollar collapses. And that's a crisis in and of itself. But I can totally see debtors saying, hey, we can't rely on the dollar anymore. Go to this new central bank digital currency that, you know, we're using. And maybe there'll be, you know, a few regions around the world um, that use different, you know, maybe there'll be like, what, you know, what's the number, three, four, five different regions that use five different currencies something like that and that's when that's when we're not going to be able to fund this military because even in its diminished state in terms of the people within the military and i I'm not talking about all the people but just as a general term let's just pretend every single person is opie from family guy it's still a ginormous military that you you know uh even with opie running every single station you still don't want to mess with because even opie's going to get a a, a a hit every now and then it's only when we can't fund that or pretend to fund that with funny money that's when you get into uh oh oh territory and when you get into oh oh territory the bottom falls out completely economically so this has been a really uplifting show today, but enlightening. To me, I think this is the this is the money line of this chapter and maybe the money line of this book and in, in our discussion of it thus far. It's a very short sentence. Fiat money specifically reinforces existing power structures. After all, if a government, if a government gets to decree the value of its own currency, what else can a government decree? 
Exactly. Exactly. That's basically my point. its own value in everything. And a government can decree whom it values yes. as well. If it can decree its own value in its currency, it can decree its value in all things. And then it can also decree whom it values. That's why Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. But if you walked through the door of a government building on January 6th after police let you in, had no weapons, caused no harm or no vandalism whatsoever, but they caught you on camera, you have been indefinitely detained ever since. It's a big club, and we ain't in it. Final thought? This, this book, which has been a gift to me personally because this has been way more interesting than I uh, thought it was going to be, but it puts the notion of m money being the mother of all evils in entirely different conversation for me in terms of it's when it's manipulated in a certain fashion and taken out of the moral mm -hmm. framework that Adam Smith meant it to be in. Wow. Mm -hmm. I do think we maybe should have some positive, uplifting, non-political questions next. <laughs> Don't hold your breath. Aaron, you got six minutes to come up with something. All right. We'll do that when we come back. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show. If you're looking to score a few extra points by giving out the perfect gift this holiday season, I've got two great ideas certain to have you and your family and your friends that you give this gift to bragging about how thoughtful you are. The sheets I've been sleeping on for like the last six months. Not the actual sheets, but the... You can have your own, okay? I mean, the company that makes them. <laughs> pass these around the country? <laughs> so it would be a little awkward, all right? Uh, and no, I'm not offering free shipping, all right? COD. <laughs> uh, I own a set of Cozy Earth Sheets, uh, the brand with thousands of five-star reviews, including my own. Not only super soft, they're made from some of the finest premium bamboo in the world and here's a big thing. If you are hot-blooded like me or cold-blooded like the missus, they're temperature regulating as well. So you're going to sleep comfortable year-around. And what's the second idea? How about their luxurious loungewear collection as well? Soft and stylish bamboo pajamas, joggers, T-shirts, and more. No gift wrapping required. All right? Save 40% now on Cozy Earth bedding, loungewear, pajamas, and towels. Hurry. Holiday offer here ends soon. Go to CozyEarth.com slash Steve. And be sure to use the promo code Steve at checkout for those massive savings of 40%. I mean, I went to public school, but that's almost half off. Okay? 40% savings. 40% savings with the promo code Steve. I'm telling you, these sheets are incredible. CozyEarth.com slash Steve. Again, that is CozyEarth.com slash Steve. And you'll need to use the discount code Steve at checkout for the 40% off. Time now for three non-political questions. 
all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. What happens is we have so many sponsors. At one point, I counted up like 40 active sponsors earlier this year and trying to sift through all the graphics in different locations becomes a little tedious to do live on the air. You asked for some positive three non-political questions. I'm here to be your huckleberry. Question number one, what's a time of, or what's a story of a time where you weren't sick, but eating food almost made you throw up or made you throw up? I wasn't sick, but eating food almost made me throw up. Um, I'm trying to think what almost made me throw up. Oh, I, oh, I can tell you this. It involves food, though, but I wasn't eating it. Is that okay? Sure. All right. So, I mean, we were living in Florida at the time, so this would have been early 80s. I was 9, 10 years old, and I had been, uh, I was in my room watching uh, some NFL football, and uh, I had been bugging Dave about how I was hungry and, and stuff, you know, and uh, this was at Christmas time, and uh, he comes into my bedroom with a Tupperware bowl, he says, hey, man, are you still hungry? I got something for you. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I think you've told this yeah. story. And I said, yeah, you bet. And he opens up, he opens it up and shoves it in my face. And the, the smell of the rot and the mildew, something from Thanksgiving had been left in the freezer or fridge and had been forgotten in the back. The smell of the rot and the mildew was so overwhelming that uh, I did actually uh, mildly throw up at that particular moment. So, and I was so traumatized by it that 40 years later, I still remember that moment. So there you go. I thought we were going to do positive questions for goodness sakes. How was that not positive? When was the last time you threw up? Yep. But you weren't sick. I drank vinegar. Watching your montage today just about happened. Oh, just today? Yeah. I'm sorry, Todd. Go ahead. I drink vinegar, so it takes a lot. There was a time as a kid, I remember, elementary school age, you know, like the the puck hash browns that at McDonald's, you know, oh, those are the best. So I love them. It's, this is just how my stomach works. Like I, I, I'm the opposite of Steve. There's no scarring whatsoever. But I, I ate way too many of those as a kid at the home. You, you know, you can mm-hmm. buy those at the in the freezer section at the store. We had them and I was a glutton and I ate way too much. And I remember getting sick. You know, moved on. Still, still love him. Still like him. My so. uncle was a, one of my uncles was a garbage man, and he on his route was A and E Dairy here in town, the big dairy here in Des Moines. And they had put out a bunch of stuff that was expired by just a few days when I was little, and he had brought it over to my my nana's house, to Grandma Myrna's house, and uh, where I spent the night as many as often as I could. And she spoiled me absolutely rotten. God rest her soul. And. Uh, she let me eat way too much of that expired ice cream. Oh, no. Then on the next day when she went to take me home to the parents, that's the only time in my life other than drunk in college, I needed someone to pull over on the side of the road so I could throw up right there on the side of the road. Yeah. Oh, no. To be fair, that may have happened whether it was expired or not with you <laughs> and ice cream. So it's possible. Possible. Yes. Yes. Uh, this is recency bias. 
You guys ever been to Who Hot? Yeah, I've been there before. That's oh, the Mongolian man. Grill here in town. You ask Bella. these questions just to like do this to us. This is going to be terrible. Yeah, Bella and I <laughs> love this place. <laughs> because if you're celiacs like yeah. you guys, it's it's, it's perfect. It's like yeah. um, it's bonanza yeah. for us. Yeah, it's yeah. good. But our strategy is because we get the we get the all you can eat thing, you know, to make it worth our time. Try not to eat any full meals before you actually go. And we went once this summer, and I adhered to this strategy. But I started off with some of the most spiciest oils and yes. the thing that you, you put on first. I yes. started with some of the hottest and spiciest stuff. Beautiful. And that kind of colored the rest. I, I should have started off, just paced myself. I went to the Who Hot restroom and I just got that feeling that this is going to happen. This did, is rock bottom. Did you have the meat sweats? And the meat sweats started to spin a little bit. Never actually did. <laughs> Never actually did. But that's a word of advice. Next time you go to Who Hot, pace yourself. Work up to the spicy stuff. Get something in your stomach first. Kind of lap all that up. Don't start with that right away. I still had like three or four bowls, but uh, <laughs> that's my yeah. That's my story. Plowed through. That's um, the best part of that story. What is one technological advancement you never thought you'd see as a kid that uh, actually has come to fruition? Oh, these oh, phones. What was that? These phones that are like Starfleet communicators, almost. Never thought this would happen. Yeah. yeah. Uh, TiVo DVR. This the idea that I mean, I used to think as a kid, could I? I wish I could go back and watch that, you know, again or in real time, or pause it and come back to where I'm at, or you know, then you'd record, you know, games when you had to work, but on VCRs, but you had to get through the whole game first because you couldn't stop and watch it in real time, right? I mean, for me, it's that for sure. I'm not kidding you when I tell you that like TiVo and DVR like made me a better husband and father. Just, I mean, record like basketball games that I want to watch, but you know, just stay away from my phone and not see the score come home after I'm done doing my, you know, it's not duty. I love being a dad and a husband, but you know, the stuff, the time, the effort that, they, that is required there. Come home, everybody goes to bed, put that thing on one and a half speed, slow it down when I want it to get through all the commercials, watch an entire college basketball game in like 20 minutes. I mean, it's, it, it literally, from a time management standpoint, made me a better husband and father. How did we get by without navigation on our phones? This is the, I think that's Amy the asked of, me about that all the how time. Did what we did get we do places? before we just said, uh, I'm, this is the address, give me the directions, right? And this is long, this, this Maps much, over the dashboard and you're, yeah, you're, yeah. you're, you're people talk about texting and driving. How many accidents were there with our parents and grandchildren or grandparents mapping and driving yeah. maps out over the dashboard? No one's wearing a seatbelt. Grandpa's got a cigarette. Grandma's got you sitting in, or, in, you know, in her lap in the front seat, looking down at the map and driving while smoking. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. How many accidents were caused because of that back in the day? And this pretty much happened at the time when my, when our family road trips really started in earnest for club soccer I can't imagine trying to get like through. I know the middle of these all these cities I've been to across the country. I know. I, it's baffling. I know. I think for me the virtual reality stuff that's becoming borderline creepy now. 
where you can just point your phone. You can point your phone at like a real room or a real space and something will just pop up like it's actually there. And then, of course, you, you've got the Sony like goggle thing, right, Steve? Or you had it at one time. I don't anymore. We have the, yeah. the Oculus now. The oh, VR, the Oculus. Yeah, yeah, but that's what we have now. Yeah, Those things are ridiculous yeah. and would have been hard pressed to convince me something like that could have happened. Um, one more question. If you could trade your favorite favorite college team never making the NCAA tournament again for always losing in the college football national championship, would you make that trade? No. You're in the national championship every single year. But we lose it every year, right? That's what you said, right? We mm -hmm. lose it every year? I wouldn't, man. I, I went through... As college football, I think, is the greatest sport on earth. But the NCAA basketball tournament is the greatest sporting event on earth. I mean, I think there's nothing like it. I love it to death. And we went through, what was it, from 1998-9 to 2009, so a decade. We went a decade without making a single NCAA tournament, man. And, and, that, and that was worse than not beating Ohio State in Columbus for 20 years. Because we still had some really good seasons in there, right? But it's not possible to have a good college basketball season and, and not make the NCAA tournament. Not possible. And those, and then it's also winter, right? So at least in the fall of Michigan, you know, Rich Rod is out there stinking up the joint. I can just, you know, still go out, take the family out, go do something. In the wintertime when it's desolation, the basketball season, if it's bleak, it just makes things even bleaker. I, no, I, I don't want to. I don't want to go through the ten years we didn't make the NCAA tournament. For me, as a fan, felt longer than the twenty years it took to win another game in Columbus, Ohio. So I would not make that trade. I love March Madness too much. Yeah, I would not uh, make that trade. But I again, the game, the game, guaranteeing success is not being successful. It, it, the games. Are you sure? Because you're talking to a kid that read every Choose Your Own Adventure book as a child, but always went to the end first to make sure I made the right choices. Okay? Because I like winning. And you are I uniquely like winning. you. <laughs> I mean, no one else knew that I had made the right choices, but I knew. I knew. I had to know that I won. I made the right choices. Yeah. The competition. It, you, if you tell me, if you would take that bet, you really don't like competition, which is, I'm glad you you didn't take it. It's, listen, right now, Wisconsin basketball, it, it just, it's fun figuring it out again. How are you going to compete with Johnny Davis uh, moving on and being a high draft pick? And now this new freshman, Asigian, and, and figuring it all out. It's the competition and coming together and the scrap for it. it it's, and it's, if it works out, it's, it's beautiful because of that story. I, 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 I just, I, I pity those who lose sight of that and don't have it don't enjoy that part of it anymore and just see that as as a widget transaction the reason why we're supposed to have sport is because you know from the olympics the, the human element rising up and doing something 
excellent. And yes, that's possible if you were in second place. And yes, that's possible if you're the dark horse in the NCAA tournament. It's possible on so many different levels. And we're cheating ourselves out of that. And we're doing it right now in pro and college sports and how we are just making it about the almighty dollar. We're, we're, we're killing ourselves, Smalls. I totally make the trade. I just bet against <laughs> Iowa. I just bet against yes. Iowa every single year. And there's my retirement fund. Love this show. <laughs> Wait, you went for your full Biff? Yeah. I, I mean, you know the I outcome? Could, somebody makes some money off of it? I then, respect that. And then, you know, uh, since neither of you guys want to make that trade, I could just come in here every single year and be like, hey, look, we probably won the Big Ten uh, championship <laughs> and we made it to the national championship game again. What did you guys do? Aaron, Aaron is on the do not uh, sell or do not sell list of every sports book in America for consecutive for 20 consecutive years, correctly uh, betting Iowa futures to win the Big Ten, <laughs> knowing the future. Yes. All right. We got about a minute and a half here. Final thoughts on today's program. Well, we Come did quickly, Lord Jesus. That's <laughs> yeah. my thought. We did have some fun in the end there. I do like how you didn't try to comment on that montage and the fact that we're going to get more of those instead of less here i just how we reflect on what we do going forward with our commentary and what no matter how right it was in the past how many ears to hear are there and how, and how are we really going to be change agents in the future it's a riddle that i it's not easy to solve but isn't I guess that's our calling. How how do we do it? How do you use all those prodigious gifts God gave you there, Steve Days, to continue? I, I don't know, guys. I, I don't know what to say exactly. to some of these events other than you are going your your soul you are putting your soul at risk of eternal damnation in hell. I don't know what else to say. I know. You would have told me that that would be part of my everyday talk on the air when I got into when we when we when this company was formed exactly. twelve years ago. I'd have told you you were nuts. Yeah. And yet I don't have an, any other analysis. I'm left with nothing else other than that. I don't know what else to say to you. And that the fact that you recognize that is quite frankly everything, and it makes us worth continuing to do this. Well, hopefully you agree. And you're back with us again tomorrow, noon to 2 Eastern, right after Glenn Beck. We're going to stick around, tape overtime for Blaze TV subscribers. For the rest of you, we'll see you then. And until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.